This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. Hello, aviators, and welcome to the Flight Time Series by Hangar Talk and Flight Training Magazine, where we bring you the exciting world of aviation. Each show, we will revisit a popular Hangar Talk interview for the flight training audience. I'm Jennifer Non, Senior Manager of Media Relations and Public Affairs at AOPA. There are many routes to a great flying job. Sometimes it's traditional, like the path through an aviation university and onto an airline. Others are unconventional. Today's episode features a pilot who definitely took an unconventional path. Pete Padell is a pilot for a major airline, but he didn't get a degree in aviation. In fact, he was a writer with AOPA before jumping to the regional airlines. Pete comes from a flying family, and although he loves to write, he knew flying was his passion. Today you can find him on the flight deck or at his computer where he still pens stories for flight training. Senior content producer Ian Twombly sat down with Pete to talk about flying the line and his unusual path to the majors. If you want to learn more about flying for a living, check out AOPA's resources at AOPA.org. Click on Training and Safety and Learn to Fly. And if you're not a member, make sure to push that join button while you're there. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. All right, Ian, take it away. All right, Pete, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming up. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I want to talk mostly about flying careers, but first about you a little bit. Tell me a little bit about kind of where you got started, where you grew up, that sort of thing. I grew up in an aviation family. Both my grandfathers were pilots. My father was a pilot. And then uh, he taught me and my two brothers to fly. So it's, uh, I'm a third generation pilot and we, you know, my brother has two boys learning to fly. So we've got literally generation four coming up now. Cool. uh, Learning to fly and. The ironic thing is that three of these generations have been in the same airplanes that we've had in our family for uh, well over 30 years. And uh, so, yeah, I just uh, grew up uh, in the Maryland area here outside of D.C. and just learned to fly out of the local airport, which is the Montgomery County Air Park in uh, Gaithersburg. And then uh, also learned out of my my family's got a farm airstrip on the eastern shore. And I spent a lot of time flying out of there doing a lot of grassroots kind of stuff out of there as well. Awesome. And so were they um, anybody... Uh, fly like were your grandfathers in the war? Or anybody fly professionally or? Uh, my father 
Well, he flew briefly for the airlines. His uh, after he completed uh, his uh, bachelor's degree, 1956. Airlines were very hard up, and uh, he just decided to go out to LaGuardia Airport, pedaled his bike over there, and said, "Hey, you guys looking for pilots?" And they said, "Not unless you got an instrument rating and a, and a multi rating." And he's like, "Yeah, I got that." So you know, he was uh, what 21 years old, and just wow. showed up there, and they said, "Jump, put him in the right seat of a DC three, and he flew all summer long doing that cool and uh, i think he loved it but um he did that for an entire summer and i think at the end of that summer his parents were kind of like yeah we didn't send you to princeton to, to be an airline pilot so <laughs> get a real job yeah, yeah he yeah. ended up becoming an md <laughs> so his brief flirtation with an airline pilot i'm sure he loved it but it didn't uh, it didn't last and then you know but he always had the the love of aviation so i, th- I guess it was uh i think he bought his first plane in 1964 uh, Cessna 180, and then um, and that's how long we've kept airplanes at the the air park in uh, Gaithersburg is since 1964. Wow. Yeah. So and uh, so while he couldn't be an airline pilot, he was getting plenty of uh, flight time just flying family around uh, in a 180, later a 310, and then uh, bought the Baron that we still own in 1971. Now your brothers are professional pilots as well, right? Yeah, both of them are corporate pilots. Okay. Yeah. So um, do you guys? <laughs> Do you look at each other jealously? I mean, it's like you you look at them and you say, man, they have a good gig. And they look at you and say, man, you got a good gig. Yeah, sometimes. So one of my and when it comes to corporate jobs, uh, my brothers are sort of polar opposites. One of them works for a big company. I won't mention any names, but he works for a big company that has a well-staffed flight department. Um, So and and they have a pretty set schedule, you know, usually a couple, you know, a month or two in advance. So he pretty much knows where he's going. Um, and being that it's a good size flight department, uh, they uh, have vacation coverage and things like that. Mm. So it's a pretty good gig. Uh, and being that it's a corporation, most of their flying is during the week. Yeah. My other brother flies a global 6,000 for an individual owner. And uh, that, of course, is the opposite. Yeah. You've got an individual owner. Um, there's only two pilots. Um, wow, no I, kidding. Yeah. So, no relief at all. Well, they, they will hire out you know, a, a rent-a-pilot for a yeah. day rate. If they need it, so if they're going to do a long range trip, they'll they'll rotate a, a third pilot in there to uh, get the the rest they need. And being that it's an individual, it can be you know a jump and run trip. He likes to joke and say, "Yeah, I know my schedule. It's every holiday and every weekend." Yeah, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to my right. other brother. Yeah, so yeah. it's uh, it's unfortunate, but it's great money. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also and a has great a great airplane. Yes, it's a great yeah. airplane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got to fly one of those once, and it was really really sweet. Um, but yeah, you've got a, a billionaire with a you know who basically goes out and buys a sixty-five million dollar jet. I mean, it's 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 crazy money, and yeah. he's got these guys on retainer ready to go whenever. Wow. So, and the other thing is, is that the airplane's based in White Plains, and my brother lives in Maryland, so it's oh. it's, it's a little bit of a commute <laughs> to work too. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you um you flew a little bit of. Uh, charter and a little bit of corporate kind of before yeah. going the airline route. Yeah, so I graduated college. Well, actually, I was flying charters uh, for a local charter company here in uh, Frederick that was uh, operating Barons and Navajos. And so I had um, an in with them, uh, being that my brothers worked for them. And so here I here I came up with, you know, I guess I had a couple hundred hours of twin time because I grew up in the family's Baron. And, and so I kind of stepped into that job. I couldn't be certified as a uh, I was a VFR only captain because you had to because uh, it was 500 hours total time. Oh yeah, sure. You could only be VFR part 135. So yeah. yeah, I had to wait till I got 1,200 hours to be the the to to fly IFR. But uh, you know, a lot of our stuff was two pilot operation anyway. Yeah. So I did that for several. I guess it was a couple of years. So I was in college, 
And I had three jobs in college. I was flying charters, waiting tables, and working for a caterer. And guess which one paid the most? It was it was the, definitely not the flying yeah, job. Yeah, right, the caterer probably. Yeah, the yeah. catering job was the best. But, you know, so the catering job paid the bills, and the waiting tables paid the bills for the flying job, if you want to say. But, yeah. So I did that for, uh, I guess it was probably a couple of years, flying the charters. And then when I graduated college, there was no airlines hiring. It was 1994. Yeah. So uh, that's why I ended up here at AOPA. Hmm. Uh, a good friend of the family, Richard Collins, who was a longtime uh, flying magazine writer as well as AOPA editor. Him and my dad were, were good buddies, so he was sort of my mentor after my father died, and, and uh, he uh, was at AOPA at the time and got me an internship here. So while I was in college, I did an internship here, and then after college, since no airlines were hiring and the chartered gig was not very glamorous, um, living on a pager was not really my style. Yeah. So then we came, uh, so I uh, got hired here in 1994 as an associate editor, hmm. and then uh, it was a great job, uh, a lot of fun, you know, getting to fly new airplanes and write about them. Yeah. It was a lot of work, I yeah. have to say. Um, I'm, I, I'm not, a, I wasn't a trained journalist like Al Marsh was who could just, you know, spit out a story in a couple hours. I, yeah. you know, it took me a long time, but and it was a lot of work, but... Um, you know, so I stayed here for six years, and airlines hiring started picking up, and you know the people who are above me here are still here. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Didn't seem to be much vertical movement here, yeah. so uh, yeah, I decided. You know, I'm not. I was. I guess at the time when I was here at AOPS, I was flying like 200 hours a year. Yeah. To me, I wanted That's to be. Right. I wanted to do more. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that time was droning around in formation, you know, yeah. <laughs> other airplanes. In circles. But, yeah, 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 doing circles. But uh, so I wanted to do a little bit more flying. And that's where I really started looking into the airline thing because I, I thought, okay, if this airline thing is, you know, if I can be at a major airline within 15 years, probably a good idea to do it. Yeah. And uh, so I finally got hired at uh, a regional in uh, 2000. So I, mm. that was Atlantic Coast Airlines, which yeah. is um, now gone. Uh, they were a United Express carrier out of Washington, Dallas. And what were you flying? I started in the Jetstream 41, oh, cool. which is a, a kind of an oddball plane. Not many of them around. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, British Aerospace. It was nice in that it had a, a potty and a flight attendant. But it was and that know, was it, yeah. I mean, because I looked because we also had the Jetstream 32s, which you know had no no potty and no yeah. flight attendant, and you know the, the basically the first officer was the flight attendant who did the whole safety demonstration and everything like that while taxing out while doing yeah. everything else. It was so I thought, okay, well I've got the pretty good job here. You yeah, know? and uh, you know it was <laughs> it was a good time. It was. Uh, it was great experience, you know, flying that thing in all sorts of weather. And yeah, it, in the Northeast probably because uh, you were just yeah. bouncing around too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And back and forth across the mountains and, you know, dealing with MELs and things like that. It was, they were British airplanes, so if, if anybody's familiar with British cars, um, they know who Lucas Electrics is. Yeah. And, yeah, this airplane had Lucas Electrics. Did it really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Why it, did they ever think that was a good idea? Uh, well, yeah. They got the contract, yeah. and uh, <laughs> it, it was um, and, and probably one of the most scary things I ever had happen in an airplane was in one of those when I had a complete electrical failure. Mm. Um, thank God it happened literally just as we touched down, but at the thought of if it had happened five or ten minutes prior, yeah. you know, it could have, been a, could have been a complete disaster. Yeah. Um, and every cold morning in that airplane was, you know, trying to wake up the electronics in some way, shape, or form, oh either by flipping a switch 500 times or starting the engines manually warming the airplane up and once it warmed up things started coming oh to life God. yeah it was um it was quite the the show for the passengers in the terminal looking out the window at us trying to get this thing to come to life and yeah. a lot of them said you know what i'm just, i'll just drive yeah, that's right it's not that far yeah. exactly 
So after the jet stream, uh, well, actually, after Atlantic Coast Airlines decided, um, it, for various reasons, um, United was in a really bad way in 2002, three, four time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, we were United Express carrier. So we were losing our uh, United said, hey, you guys got to cut your costs. And uh, we said, okay. We They went to the pilot, all the working groups, pilots, flight attendants, mechanics said, all right, give us your best shot on a pay cut. Mm. So all the work, work groups came back, and we submitted the plan to United, and United said, nope, not enough. And that's when the management at Atlantic Coast said, you know what, uh, I think we're going to start our own airline. Um, because if United really went under, you yeah. know, this we would have been poised to just take over Washington dollars. Yeah, um, we had a huge operation there, so uh, that's when they hatched the grand plan to launch Independence Air, um, which was a great product with horrible timing um, <laughs> because the the business model worked when fuel was thirty six dollars a barrel yeah. in two thousand four. That's when it shot up to you know almost a hundred dollars a barrel within six months, hmm. and we started a operation with. I think 120 million in cash or something like that. Wow. We had very good startup capital. And it all, uh, we burned through that, I think, within about less than a year. Jeez. And, you know, it was, they, they, they were using the JetBlue playbook to try to yeah. get bookings through our own website. And, you know, that was difficult to do when nobody knew who no, you were. Yeah. Um, and uh, so for the first three months, I think I flew around empty chairs in, a, in an RJ. Oh I was gosh. flying that, that I'd moved up to the, well, the uh, Independence Air was strictly uh, CRJs and uh, Airbus mm-hmm. 319s. Uh, so for the first three months, I do recall flying empty chairs in the summer of 2004, thinking, uh-oh, oh, wow. <laughs> this can't be good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sure enough. So eventually we jumped in bed with Travelocity, and the bookings picked up, and we started filling up planes. But I think that it was too late, too yeah. little too late. The damage was done. Um, RVSM came out about that time. So we were our RJs were now capped at twenty eight thousand feet. Oh my gosh. So they became horribly inefficient airplanes, yeah. which they already were inefficient airplanes for. Uh, and then it got so bad that even Airbus wouldn't give us planes, because Airbus, whenever we got a new Airbus on site, we'd get rid of three RJs. Well, hmm. Airbus stopped giving us planes. I guess they they saw the balance sheets and said mm, this can't be good. So yeah. we stopped getting rid of. Uh, RJs, which, of yeah. course, part of the plan was to get more efficient aircraft. And yeah. here we've got these inefficient RJs that, you know, capped at 28,000 feet. It was it, it was not good. So the the red flags and alarms were going off in my head that I got to get out of here. And thank, thankfully, I got out of there in uh, July of 2005. Did you get out before they folded? I did. Oh, yeah, wow. they folded in uh, January of 06. Oh, wow. And I got out in July of 05. Huh. And then, then I got hired by a major airline, and um, that's kind of where I've been sitting ever since, and it's been a good good change of pace. Hmm. And what uh, what did you first go into equipment-wise? Um, I went to 737. Okay. Oh, and, and at Independence? Yeah, well, did you go ever make it on the Airbus? And no, no, no. At the Independence, I was, I was a CRJ captain. Okay. And then... As uh, as the company was going under and layoffs were going, I got moved from captain to the right seat, and uh, mm-hmm. that was really when the alarm bell started going off because yeah. I just took a you know forty plus percent pay cut, and yeah. I'm thought, oh god, you know, and I've got a young kid at home. I was like, this is really getting ugly. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it was time to move on, really. Yeah. So when you went from the RJ to the to the seven three, what what kind of a jump is that like? I mean, is it, it is that smaller than the Baron to Jetstream or no? The Baron to Jetstream was a well, it was a big change because it was it was it was GA to airline. Yeah. So the airline jump was a huge chasm. Yeah. Um, and you know, going from a 
mostly single pilot operation. I mean, yeah, we did at when I was flying charters, we did a sort of pseudo two pilot operation. Basically, yeah. one guy would work the radios, the other guy would fly. Yeah, but, but it's it was probably just like any other GA where it's like, hey, you want to do the radios? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was nothing like it is in the airlines where there are set things to do and you've got to do it like literally the way they tell you to do it. And so that was a big step for me. And having the uh, the capable, really capable autopilot in that airplane as well, hmm. in the jet stream, yeah. that you know was was capable of doing things that I just hadn't seen. So I was like, oh well, this is uh. so. It, and and knobology and switchology that you do that whether the autopilot's on or not, hmm. you know who stabs what button when you know. So yeah. we had just, I mean that that was a big ju- leap for me to really uh, come to terms with uh, the differences and and. GA flying versus the airlines, and the airlines really are just very anal in how they want things done, and I I get it. Yeah, there's a reason, and that's because you could be flying with a total stranger. Yeah, every on any given day, and, yeah. and in fact, I've had days where I've had three different pilots rotating in and out of the right seat or the left oh, seat wow. or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, so and we all play along well together because that's the way the training works. So. And that's an aside, but I mean, I always thought the deal was when you bid a schedule, it's like you're with that crew for that three or five days or it whatever. It started out um, when we did paper bidding. Uh, so paper bidding was, uh, you had what were called lines, lines of flying, basically yeah. you, you picked. And when you got awarded a line of flying for the entire month, you were paired with that captain for the entire month or, or first officer or whatever the case may be. When uh, I guess it was about 2000, late 2005 or 2006, when my company went to uh, uh, electronic bidding, or mm-hmm. some people call it slick bidding, um, and then you basically bid for trips, not mm. not an entire not month. Yeah, so oh. basically an individual could say, all right, I want these days, I want to preference these days off, and uh, I don't want to do this kind of flying, I don't want to do that kind of flying, and, and it's, the computer has to crunch all these parameters yeah and what happens is then you're only basically flying with somebody per trip huh. so instead of flying with somebody for an entire month yeah. which is both good and bad yeah right um you know and now you're flying with somebody just for the week typically or, you know three or four day rotation or something like that i guess overall that's probably a good thing because it's like if you really get to hate the person after yeah, like three days exactly. and you had a full month left of that, that's that's a grind. And that happened, yeah, yeah. a lot. Yeah. And uh, you get stuck with somebody for an entire month, and you're like, well, I guess this month's going to stink. Yeah. <laughs> Just hold out in the hotel room. <laughs> Otherwise, on the other hand, you could have Captain Fun Times yeah. where you know every layover was a blast. And you know yeah. he was just the type of guy who was funny and adventurous, and you guys go out and do crazy things and, you know, go hang gliding or something. I don't know, hmm. whatever. It was just, you know, sometimes there's a lot of fun, fun things to go on. And uh, yeah, so the, you had the good and the bad. Yeah, that's interesting. And so when you're getting back to uh, the the training, the the, the chasm between yeah, the, you know, the GA to, to airline, that was a big jump. The other transition was going from, uh, well, CRJ, then to uh, 737, which at the time we had five different models. Oh, so, yeah, and a common type. And one common type. Yeah. So that was a jump. Uh, you know, different airline culture that I had to learn, uh, different airplane, but then the five different models uh, between classics and new gen. And big difference. And it was like, I, I can't believe the FAA bought off on this uh, type know, rating. But I'm actually <laughs> shocked about that, too. And that, that's true of all jets, it seems like, it's where it's like you've got these huge differences. I mean, steam gauge to, like, advanced glass yeah. and engine differences. And, and so we had steam gauge... Um, 737s 
Then we had new gen 737s with glass, mm-hmm. but the depictions on the glass were of round dials. Yeah, right. To keep it common. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it was funny, but people are looking at, wait, you got glass with round dials? Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. It was, <laughs> it was a little embarrassing. And I don't think, and then even when we got rid of all the classics, I want to say 2010 or 11, maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. But uh, when we got rid of them, it, it it even took like another year for them to flip the switch to make the displays go normal. <laughs> instead of so we we're still looking at round dials for a while. It was, but it was a, uh, it was a, it was a big uh, big difference. But a little bit of a learning curve there. It was a, it was a very stressful training uh, uh, event. Yeah. My first one at uh, at my current airline. Wow. And so you started off commuting, right? To your yeah, base. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was um, lots of fun. Yeah, so so to dissuade somebody from an airline career by telling me about commuting and sort of the realities of that life. Yeah. So at the time, you know, starting out this job, I was uh, the contract at the time basically threw the new hires under the bus. Twenty-seven bucks an hour was what I was making. So I had gone from, you know, actually making sort of a living at. Uh, at my regional at uh, Independence, you know, to then not, you know, then going again, having the rug pulled out for me and only, you know, making terrible money. Thank God for my wife who was able to step up and <laughs> she was working full time. So we had some uh, income there, you know, and you got a young child. But anyways, uh, there was no base in my hometown and, and I wasn't going to move the family because I have a lot of ties to the area, plus my yeah. wife had a good job. Yeah. So we weren't going to move, but so I had to start commuting and, you know, commuting to New York. Uh, from D.C., you know, on a map, eh, not yeah. that big a deal. Four-hour drive, yeah, right? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah. And if I can't get on a plane, yeah, I'll just drive, yeah. you know. Yeah, grand plans, um, how things go. Uh, so typically, um, I would try to fly to work because it was free. Yeah. Um, and, you know, jump seating on uh, one of our flights up there, great. Uh, the And we had seven 737s a day going between uh, – mm. uh, yeah. National Airport in New York, which is great. So um, I was usually getting on. Um, but then things changed. So, you know, of course, you know, there is any time you go into New York from Washington, you know, there's ground stops, mm-hmm. there's holds, there's, I mean, it's just, it's it's chaotic. Yeah. Uh, volume delays, uh, it's just, it's very unpredictable. You know, ba- you know, you count on the 3 o'clock flight leaving at 5 and the 5 o'clock flight leaving at 7 and the 9 being canceled or something like that. Just it, It's just crazy. Um very stressful to fly to work, but at least it was free because the drive was expensive. Yeah, uh, with the oh, tolls, the tolls, yeah, the tolls like and the gas, you know, it was you know, it was just it was. I calculated out to usually be about one hundred twenty dollars round trip to yeah. drive to work. Yeah, and the train, forget it. It was one twenty each way. Yeah, so the choices were you know average, bad, and ugly hmm. really when it came to expenses. So yeah, there were some times I had to jump in the car at the last minute and drive to work, and that was yeah. no fun. Uh, but you know what, you know, four hour drive. And then there's the, the the greatest part of of the commuting experience is having a crash pad, which you know is really cheap insurance. That mm-hmm. you know if you get stuck somewhere, yeah, it's nice. Or if you have to commute up the night before, you really do kind of need a crash pad. And and the crash pad was economical because a hotel would cost you, um, you know, a hundred bucks a night. Yeah. Whereas the crash pad was one sixty five for a month. Hmm. So. And so, how many people do you oh, even know? How many yeah, people there was, were on the lease? I think I think our place had about eighty pilots. Wow. Um, but of course, everybody's on a different schedule, so yeah. you rarely saw more than ten guys every on any given night. Yeah. Um, and the guy who ran this, you know, operation was a pilot as well. <laughs> so he, um, you know, had this. Uh, <laughs> well, that's so typical. It's like <laughs> it is, he, and he lived in Florida. Uh. 
But yeah. uh, so the rumor was is that he had a girlfriend up in uh, oh. in the and that's why he kept the crash pad was an excuse for him to come up and, and see his 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 best girl in yeah. in uh, <laughs> in New York. I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, whatever. I didn't care. I yeah. didn't ask. I was cheap. It was it was good insurance to have, and you know, introduced me to terms like hot bunking and things hot like bunking. hot bunking. Yes, hot okay. bunking yeah. is. A, I don't, are you familiar with it? I am not familiar with <laughs> hot bunking. Hot bunking is basically, um, so that the bed that you're sleeping in was probably slept in the night before. Yeah, probably. Yeah, by yeah. somebody else. Yeah. Yes, yeah, how that's hot bunking, but uh. <laughs> it's hot bunking with a maid service, which means that at least oh. the sheets get changed. Oh. Yeah. So every day there was a maid came in and made the beds and changed them, but oh, that's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. not too bad. Yeah. But uh, I think I'd was, bring a sleeping bag with me or something. Like yeah. it was just literally. It was it was like going back to college again with a bunch of snoring old men, and I, I really did not enjoy it yeah. uh, at all. It was the worst part of my uh, job. But at the time, it was like, well, you know, I don't have a choice when I was getting going to get furloughed at one job. And yeah. So were you on reserve at the time, or were you able to? I take only trips? Sp- I was lucky uh, at the time. Uh, uh, Meyerland was hiring so fast. I only spent uh, two months on reserve. Hmm. Okay. I so. really lucked out. So I yeah the first. Two months of my existence there, I was living in a crash pad in New York, yeah, thinking, "What, are, what have I done to my life?" Yeah. Um, but we were hiring so fast that I was quickly holding a line, and uh, yeah, life, you know, improved immensely once I got a line. And then, and of course, with the way things were going, hiring-wise, you know, my schedule got pretty good very quickly. Hmm. So when you when you started holding a line, it's like, how do you make the calculation between? Uh, I'm gonna push it and try and go up that day to catch my trip, or yeah, I'm gonna go the night before. Yeah, you could push it. Yeah, that that was always the the qu- and and anything involving any of the New York three airports. You know, it was if you're gonna commute same day, basically I could make it there. Um, if my my show time was after 11 a.m., yeah, I could make it up there because there was usually two flights in the morning that yeah. would get me up there in time. And if the weather was good, and um. And when I'm when I'm talking weather, I mean it could be clear in a million, but if yeah. the winds are blowing, yeah. they're they're going to still have delays. So yeah. it, was, it had to be clear, had to be not windy, and then and the volume delays all started in the afternoon. So if you got two flights with seats and the weather was good, yeah, I could commute up that day and go to work. Do you ever? So how do you make the calculation? I mean, does it? Do you ever get in a situation where it's like uh, you get to the airport to try and get the flight up, and you think uh, I'm not going to make it? I got to get in the car and turn around yeah. and, and drive right now. Yeah, I've had a couple of those. Yeah, driving up the turnpike, you know, at a high rate of speed to get to work on time. Um, I've also had uh, situations where we blocked out of the gate uh, to on my commute flight to work and uh, sat on the ground for four hours. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and my show time. I'm on the phone with scheduling, saying yeah. uh, I'm stuck. Yeah, I mean, unless I pop an emergency exit, I'm stuck on this yeah. plane. And they're like, <laughs> "Well, what do you want to do?" I'm like. Ah. I want to get to work. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, unless you can make that happen. And yeah, so I've, I've had some missed trips because I got stuck on a plane that sat there and wouldn't go back to the gate. And, you know, it's not like I'm in, I'm in the back. I can't go up to the cockpit and say, hey, man, can you go back to the gate so I can get in my car? You know, it was it was unfortunately. Uh, and so what's the situation there? Is that like uh, you calling sick or I mean. Well, it's, what it, you've basically already probably confessed your sin. Yeah. That, you know, hey, I'm on this plane. I can't get off. Yeah. You know, and even if. If it's a what what we term a legal commute where you've had your two flights and things, you know, it just stuff happens. Mm. Um, yeah, so you could lose your trip, mm. and that's happened to me. Yeah, you know, where I you lose your trip, you lose the pay. Yeah, okay. and you know, then you get then you're put on reserve uh, to try to pick up something to to make up for your lost pay. Okay. It's not it's not a good situation. It just adds to the overall stress of commuting. It's it's. But there's something baked into the contract where it's like you don't get 
there aren't sort of disciplinary things that happen as a result. Well, at first, um, you know, the, yeah, there's a, what they call a commuter policy. And the commuter policy when I first started was pretty lousy. It was, I called it yo fault. No matter what happened, it was yo <laughs> fault. Yeah. yeah, and it was annoying. Um, yeah. uh, you know, for like in the case where I was trapped on a plane, mm-hmm. you know, I had my two flights. I had, there were seats. The weather was forecast the night before to be decent. Yeah. The weather, the morning, I think the, if I recall, yeah, because I had to go through this whole, the forecast was uh, 702. Uh, broken at 700, two miles viz, mm-hmm. with a chance of uh, light snow, a, th- a probability 30% light snow. So I thought, oh, okay, that sounds pretty yeah. good. I'll, yeah. I'll commute on that. Yeah. Yeah, well, the morning of, it went to 200 and a half in freezing fog. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Yeah, everything shut down. And uh, and so, yeah, I got a call from the chief pilot saying, well, uh, yeah, and, you know, I said, yeah, I should be covered by the commuter policies. Well, I don't think so. It was in his opinion that any time you see snow in the forecast, even if it's a thirty percent probability, you should you should come up the night before. I'm oh wow! And so I lost the pay. I was not happy about that. Oh wow! I'm happy to say though, however, that um, that policy has changed much better, and hmm. uh, people are covered now. Of course, now I'm not commuting. Yeah, right. That's the way it goes. <laughs> but yeah. it, it has gotten better. It's gotten more fair, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that. And so you transition now to, so you, like you said, you're not commuting, you're home. Yeah. Um, Life changing. But you had to take a different, uh, a different piece of equipment. Yeah. Um, so now you're on the Airbus. Yeah. So to be based at home, the first thing that popped up, you know, I hate commuting more than I hate training. Yeah. So with that in mind, the, basically the first thing that came up that was in my home base was, uh, was an Airbus. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll fly it. Yeah, literally, yeah. literally, if we had King Airs, I'd be flying that yeah. so I didn't have to commute anymore. I would not mind. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I transitioned to the Airbus, and that was a big switch going from Boeing to Airbus. That was an uh, interesting transition. Yeah. Um, I do like it. Uh, you know, the Airbus really grows on on pilots, and, you know, a lot of pilots like to poo-poo it. And, uh, yeah. It, it is a, it's a strange airplane in, in some ways. Um, but honestly, it's it's a it's a great airplane, and I enjoy flying it. It's uh, it's automatic. Everything mm-hmm. you know, instead of five thousand switches up above your head that you you know seven thirty seven pilots look like trained monkeys compared yeah. to you know in the Airbus things just happen, which mm. is nice. So it's a, and it's a very uh, roomy cockpit that's very well thought out. Um, there's definitely some things, advantage, you know, the advantages and disadvantages of the airplane. I've discussed in an article on AOPA before, but um, overall, it's they're both great airplanes. But you know, the Airbus I think has it all over the 737 and creature comforts, and I'm enjoying that right now. Yeah, so it's spoken like a true airline pilot. It's like you know, <laughs> right. schedule benefits and like how comfortable is yeah, it's my life. I know, and if our mouth's moving, we're complaining. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> So you're not you don't buy into all that you know like if it's not Boeing garbage and all that kind of stuff. I, I never did. I got one of those stickers, but I never put it on my bag. Oh, no. The one that says if yeah. I'm not Boeing, if it's not Boeing, I'm not going. Yeah. I have one of those stickers, but I never put it on my bag because I thought, yeah, I don't know. I've never flown an Airbus. I'm not going to make yeah. that. I'm not going to make that judgment. And now that I have flown the Airbus, there's no way I'd put that sticker on my bag. It's a good airplane. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange, but yeah. you know, again, it's 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 got a lot of charm in its own right. What about the actual sort of hands on of it? Um, it's the fly-by-wire. Yeah, yeah that's right. the only... Uh, see, you know, I have flown fly-by-wire years ago. I got a, a what they call a red carpet ride in F-16 when I was working here at the magazine. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, that was my first time flying a fly-by-wire. I thought, this is really cool. You just point the nose where you want it and let go. Mm-hmm. And it just holds it. Yeah. It always trims to 1G. And so 
And the, this this Airbus is just like that. You know, it's just like the F-16. You point the nose where you want and let it go. And, you know, just little corrections on the stick. You don't have some giant yoke between your legs, yeah. which frees up room for a tray table that pulls out of the, you know, panel, which is great. You that know, is cool. you're not eating off your lap anymore. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a little, a little f- you know, this is a very early fly-by-wire airplane, so this is early 80s. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, kind of when things... In fact, some of our databases are updated on floppy disk. Oh, my god! There's floppy disk drive in there to oh update the gosh. database. It's pretty cool. <laughs> when you see these things, I'm like, man. It's like the last consumer of floppy disks. So, yeah, and yeah. I kind of wonder what kind of computing power was available in the early 80s, yeah. but I imagine it. I don't even think there was an 86 attached to it. It was probably 186 or 286, I don't yeah. know, whatever. It was, it's old, but... Um, wow. Anyway, so it's early fly-by-wire. It's a little, uh, it gets, really, it only gets tripped up um, in uh, gusty crosswinds is when things get a little interesting. And, and, and I mentioned in my article that I, uh, a few years ago that you, all you got to do is go on YouTube and search Airbus crosswind landings and you'll, you'll be entertained for hours. I mean, it's just, there's, you know, get some popcorn out because it's, it's pretty interesting. The airplane, if, if, you, if you don't do your technique right, it can just be a, a real hot mess hmm. to um to get it to get it down in a, in a strong crosswind your technique as in like the core techniques or is there are there like tricks that everybody has to learn to do it properly there's, in the airbus so yeah the uh the airbus has you know uh, basically there's a, a technique that airbus teaches and um and yeah it needs to be reinforced online sometimes you know you really can't um everybody's got their own little technique really yeah and um, some guys say oh no you can't have the nose raised too high in a crosswind you know it's just you're just asking for trouble and things like that and uh, some guys yeah keep it flat keep the power on things like that and mm. and everybody's got their own technique and yeah. and for the most part i've flown with enough guys who've flown this thing for years that uh, i've actually uh, I've, I've got it down pretty well now I, I don't i'm not intimidated by it like when i first got on it and you know it was uh you know, de- dealing with gusty crosswinds then, because it will you if you don't do it right, you will you can you know. Well, the first time I hit the stops on the aileron, I thought, oh, <laughs> that's a first. Yeah, you know, because that's never happened to me before. Yeah, um, and you know, and the Boeing just has aileron power to spare. Hmm. Um, so it, the first time I hit the stops, I'm thinking, oh, uh-oh. yeah, it was a little strange, but I've got it all figured out now. I think. Let's hope so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> knock on wood, right? Yeah. Exactly. So you've you've I guess over the past couple of years, I mean, it's like seniority wise, you're feeling pretty comfortable. You're still in the right seat, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm in the right seat right now. I'm, I've turned. I didn't turn down. I, I did not bid. For, there was a there was a bid to, to upgrade here recently. I think back in January, but I didn't want to do it because there was vacation bidding. They they timed the bid to upgrade to be. The, to end the day before the vacation bid. So I didn't want to be bidding for vacation as a captain, yeah. which means getting, you know, February the 2nd, yeah. your Groundhog Day or something <laughs> something glamorous like that. Um, I wanted to have, you know, a good... Uh, I wanted to bid as a first officer. So I, I, I held off. I probably shouldn't have, but I held off. Mm. And um, so I think the next opportunity I'll get to bid for a captain will be uh, hopefully this fall. And then... Um, then the debate is, is it going to be 737 or yeah. Airbus? Yeah. And, uh, you know, seniority-wise, 737 be the way to go. Um, line holder, I'd be a solid line holder in that. Yeah. Versus the Airbus, which um, is more senior airplane, and I'd be, um, the good news is, I, you know, the training would be easy because I've been flying yeah. it for three-plus years. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, the, the seniority just would not be very good. I'd probably be pretty deep on reserve. Hmm. So... How do you make that calculus? I mean, is it? Um, I guess it's whatever your is most important to you at that time. Yeah, you know, which, you talk to your wife, and then it becomes all yeah. about quality of life. Yeah. And she says, "No, no, no." Yeah. yeah. But then at the same time, I mean, if if you know, reserve can't be 
sometimes it's not that bad. Mm. So if I was, you know, say to stay on the air, I guess especially when you're reserve, home, right? Yeah, if you're yeah. living in base, yeah, it's it's not a bad gig if if unless they're short of pilots. If they're short of pilots, you're going to be working all the time. But if they're uh, if they're not short of pilots or adequately staffed, there's a good chance that you could sit around on reserve, you know, at home doing your Home Depot runs and you know taking the kids to wherever. As long as you got a bag packed and ready to go and a and a backup plan, yeah. uh, you, you it, it's not a bad gig. Hmm. And what is the call out? How long do you guys have? Uh, three hours. Okay. Yeah, so it's not too bad. It's plenty of time. Usually, even even in the worst of a DC rush hour, you know, if it was an early, you know, you know, early morning rush hour kind of situation, you, you'd probably want to be showered and uniform ready to go and a bag ready to go, which is not that big a deal. Yeah. Huh, cool. And and what about the the calculus in terms of? I, I know some people will stay first officers forever, and others want to just kind of keep upgrading and keep upgrading equipment. I mean, is there is that just to continue to get quality of life where you are or, and, and you base that based on maybe the increased pay for captain or. Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't need the money, you don't have to upgrade, but, but here's the thing. I mean, airlines in general, they don't want to hire first officers. They don't want to hire career. They want to hire, you know, people who will be captains, who will be the, the future leaders and uh, can mentor future first officers to be captains. Um, So they're not, it's not a requirement, but, yeah, they really would prefer that you take your experience, upgrade to captain, and pass on the knowledge. Mm. Um, so yeah, you. But it, it's not a requirement. And yes, some people will stay first officers for a long time, especially if their spouse has a really good job and they don't need the money. Then by all means, you know, enjoy the seniority and get what you want in terms of time off and flight benefits and things like that. Um, you know, typically, I don't care. I don't have a, a an ego when it comes to the size of airplane I fly. I don't really care. I don't want to fly big stuff. Um, yeah. You know, it just you know, it's kind of like with my brothers with the corporate jobs. You know, bigger plane, bigger suitcase. Yeah. Um. In in my case, it's you know, the trips are about the same amount of time length. You know, say a three day trip that's worth, uh, you know, twenty hours or something like that. Um, yeah, I'm doing six legs in those days where they're while well, the big guys are only doing two. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm not flying. I'm not pulling two all nighters a week. Yeah. Which you know, for me, managing rest is really hard with this yeah. job. And 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 for me, staying domestic, you know, even you know, going back, you know, the most we do is a four hour time zone change out to Anchorage or something, and that's the the worst that I would see. It's not. Uh, and but even it's hard to manage even with just a three hour time zone change to the. West Coast and back, at least for me. Some guys, who the guys who are able to sleep on planes, by all means, you know, go for it. Hmm. And so from a the, the flying and, and you know, um, I guess kind of being up front in the, the culture of it, you've been a 121 captain, um, not at the airline uh, where you are yet, but is there a draw there to become a captain just from a, I mean, is it that much different or because things are so kind of flat now with CRM, is there that much of a difference? I mean, are there really benefits in terms I, of becoming I think becoming so. A ca- a I captain? mean, I remember when I was a captain, I was like, whatever you do, get back here as quick as you can. Mm. I remember giving myself that advice, and I haven't followed it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I and I know that when I get back in the left seat, I'll be like, ah, what do you wait so long for? But anyway, the, the, the reason why is that you really, you set the tone. Um, and I've, you know, and, and as a first officer, you, you, you are sort of a chameleon to whoever you're flying with that week. Um, some people come in with a really positive tone and set a great example. Um, others just come in and, you know, slide in their seat and just get the job done. 
I like to think that when I get onto an airplane, I'm going to be enthusiastic and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to try to set the tone for everybody to have a good fun time with it and that we're all going to be looking out for each other and, and, and make a good, uh, a good, you know, day or week of whatever flying we're doing. Um, it really, you are a team up there and you know, don't, your job is only as good as you can make it. Mm. And when, you know, Captain Droopy gets on and just wants to get the job done. Yeah, well, okay, you know it's going to be a pretty boring week, and you just kind of get yourself in that mood. You know? hmm. And so, anyway, so it's nice to set the tone. It's nice to set the example for how the everything's going to go. And that's you know, and really, it's your ship. Yeah, you know, uh, you are basically in charge of it, and you get to do it your way. And that's that's a nice thing. It's. Uh, and also, guys who spend too much time in the right seat just kind of get complacent over there. Yeah. You know, they just, whatever, man, it's your call. You know, mm-hmm. they, they just kind of look over and say, I'm not in charge, you know. <laughs> you know I just fly them, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just a sort of a natural progression. And, yeah, it's it's a little overdue for me, and I'm mm-hmm. ready to do it again. I guess I was, I'm, I'm, I've always been under the impression that because things are, are so standardized the flows are so standardized and everything else yeah. that there's not a lot of discretion but i mean i guess there are those millions of little decisions that are made every flight yeah um, exactly yeah so yeah hey you think we should make 10 right on that build up up there it's like no, i'd do 20 well, okay sure yeah whatever you know there's there's every you know just little technique things you, you fly with guys who who want to take the 50 mile buffer around a thunderstorm yeah. as opposed to the standard 20, you know, you, you think, okay, that's a little overkill, but you know, you, again, you're, you're not in charge. You yeah. just, you're deferring to the most conservative person really. And just as, as one of a bazillion examples of, of things that happen every day that mm. where it's nice to be the guy in charge. Yeah. So do you still love it? Yeah. Job? It's a great job. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it, it's, um, once you get into the, it's challenging. Yeah. It's stressful, yes. Um, you know, I keep hearing that airline pilot is usually one of the top five most stressful jobs you can have, and I get it, um, especially when in uh, passenger airlines. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that come at you, and, and when the weather's down and things like that, it, it, it can be a pretty stressful day. Um, but it's challenging, which I like. We all like to be challenged and keep your skills up, and, you know, once in a while, turning the flight director off and flying an ILS and... Mm-hmm. You know, trying to keep the skills up. I mean, honestly, when I switch back and forth from GA to airline stuff, when I go f- fly my little airplanes, you know, I, you know, it, it's it's a little bit of a wake up call because, of, oh my God, I got to scan again. <laughs> everything in the airliner is on one screen. Yeah. With a flight director, it's just too easy. Yeah. And I go fly, you know, an approach in in our 172, and it's just it can be a mess. <laughs> like, and you know, and of course you're embarrassed because you know. Yeah, you're supposed to know what you're yeah, doing. I'm yeah, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, sorry, I got the scans. You really have to work on that. But hmm. uh, so yeah, keeping the skills up, uh, I do enjoy that. And yeah, it's always a challenge. Um, it, we get paid well nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Um, we get paid well for what we do, and um, it is, I think, a very important job to do it well and standard to you know so that you can play well with others. You know, basically. Hmm. I've got this impression, and I don't know if it's right or not, but that, um, you know, because there are, you mentioned before about complaining, it's like there are a lot of unhappy airline pilots. And oh, yeah. my sense is that people who still love the flying still love the job in general. It's like they'll deal with all the garbage that goes along with it. Um, but if the flying doesn't really get you anymore, then it's like, then it's just a hassle. Um, yeah, and there are some guys true, like that. But, yeah. You know, when you talk, start talking about extracurricular activities, you know, and, and of course these guys usually find out that, you know, I'm involved with little airplanes in one form or another. And like, ah, I haven't set foot in a little plane in 20 years. 
when I retire from this job, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk away and never see another airplane again. You know, oh, those wow. are the guys who aren't into flying. You yeah. can tell they've, they've just gone, they've gone over the edge. They're done. Hmm. And I, you know, I just joke around. I'm like, yeah, we'll see. You yeah. know, <laughs> we'll see when you retire. You'll come crawling back and join AOPA and get yeah. yourself an airplane or something yeah. like that. But you know. I'm never, you know, some guys, I'm never going to do it. Okay, fine. We'll see. Yeah. So you still love the flying. I mean, that's. I do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I do love it. It's fun. I, you know, and uh, I uh, love clicking off the autopilot and flying that thing around. It's, it's actually a fun, the Airbus is a fun airplane to fly. You know, just real, that the way they do the, the stick is, you know, basically the, the control inputs are the same, whether you're going, you know, 150 knots versus 300 knots, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's just really fingertip flying which is kind of fun that is cool yeah what's the most challenging is it the the culture um the flying or the passengers well the, yeah i mean the flying is pretty standard stuff, yeah really it we know what, what's coming the only thing that gets stressful there is you know weather and uh things like that really yeah. can make a long day um and when we have to start uh dealing with you know multiple runway changes and things like getting data getting de-ice and then you know getting the hold over times i mean it does get stressful and that's why you know it's it's for those days that we get compensated pretty well hmm. um you know the the easy vfr days well you know then you're like yeah this job's easy <laughs> but but you really pay for it on some days when you're yeah. just exhausted after you know say two legs of just you know ugly flying yeah. if you want to call it that um culture wise um yeah, it's a little stressful. You know, you end up in a different city every night, different hotel. You know, you could be in a hotel where 3 a.m. fire alarm goes off and your rest is interrupted and you're up. All, it can That part can be stressful. Man, man, yeah. For me, I should say, managing the rest is, is a big thing because, mm. um, you know, I'm not a natural-born natural sleeper. You know, if I'm on a plane, I'm a, you know, I'm wired pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So when I get off that plane, I'm still a little wired, and sometimes it'll take me a while to get to sleep. So, mm. yeah, the culture... Plus, there's you know, a all the family stuff that you always have to manage, I'm sure, which is yeah, challenging. Yeah. There's all sorts of fires to put out from yeah. on the road. Yeah. You know, I need you to call so-and-so about this. And, you yeah. know, okay, fine. Well, I'm three hours behind, so let me – it just – yeah, there's little things that that come into play there. And then, yeah, the passengers. Yeah, there's always, you know, uh, a, you know sometimes a circus show going on. And, and what's, what's funny about this job is that the most stressful part of, of airline flight is the boarding. Hmm. And – What's ironic about it is nobody's getting paid for it. <laughs> no kidding. We don't Except get for paid. the gate agent, we don't I get, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't get paid till we push off the gate. And mm. that means for the poor flight attendants who are back there dealing with the, can you put my bag up for me, please? Yeah. You know, and or, yeah. can I have a glass of water? I have to take my pills. You know, <laughs> you're like, okay. <laughs> so there's, they're dealing with all sorts of stuff back there. And, mm. and um, it, it's just a shame that nobody's getting paid. And that's, you know, that goes back to long before my time. I don't know. Who, who decided that's the way we're going to get paid, but I'd like to have a word with them yeah, right, right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that can be uh, at certainly an added stress. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, medical issues that crop up in flight, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I could, I remember doing some long haul flights to South America in the 737 out of New York, and we would go down to Panama, you know, Central America, go yeah. down to Panama, and it was a long flight. And, yeah. you know, you'd take somebody from sea level and stick them up in an 8,000-foot cabin for, you know, almost six hours. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, you know, about hour number four, boom, you know, we have a passenger down in the aisle, oh you know. So you got somebody who's, you know, stood up too quickly after yeah. being, you know, at 8,000 feet, and they haven't drank any water, or worse, were drinking alcohol. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. But, you know, and then they drop, and, you know, you got, then you have to arrange a, phone call to a doctor, find out if their doctor's on board. And it's just, mm. it does get stressful when you're hauling human cargo. 
Any sort of major medical incidents yet? Mm, no, I haven't had a ma- I did have one div- medical divert. We were on our way back from Panama. I had to end up in Raleigh. Oh. Overweight landing, you know, things Ooh. like that. Yeah, so that was fun. Mm. Um, they were okay. It was, um, you know, they... they I guess it's just really important to get them off the plane. Yeah, right. a lot less paperwork if they don't <laughs> if they right. die on the plane. Yeah, there's a lot of paperwork to do. But yeah. but as long as once they're in a jetway, it's a huge sigh of relief. And <laughs> the crew members like okay, okay, we're Did good your to go. Job, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, and one overweight landing inspection away, and okay, we're off. Yeah, um, finished up the trip. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned alcohol. I was on a flight where. I think they were coming back from the Middle East or something. It's two two guys in uniform, but man, they got into it. They were. <laughs> It was like drink after drink, and he, at a certain point, I think we are going to Anchorage, actually, it was like, boom, in the back, out. Yeah. Cold. Yeah, because they don't tell you that, you know, airplane cabins, of course, you know, you might be aware that you're at a higher altitude, 8,000 feet, but, you know, the the fact that it's literally, you know, desert dry. Yeah. It's about, in the cockpit, it's about 3% humidity, in the cabin, it's about 10. Wow. And it it is, and then of course alcohol being a diuretic just dries you out even more. Mm-hmm. So if you're not drinking, if you're gonna if you're gonna go drink for drink there on a yeah. on a on an airline flight, at least make one of uh, them water because yeah. that's about your only Alternate. chance of surviving. Yeah, because yeah. it, it's it, it is brutal, and and I didn't realize that until I got into the, you know, uh, kind of got more into the flight physiology of this. I'm like, oh my god, it's like a alcohol is a pretty bad idea when you're flying. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah, that trip to Vegas might sound good to get loaded up, but yeah, it's, you're not going to feel good when you get there. You're going to have a pounding headache. <laughs> so it, it, we're recording this um, actually about a week, I guess, after, um, I don't know if I want to say that poor soul or that guy or, you know, that got dragged off the airplane. Um, lots of uh, lots of problems with that, I guess. Um, yeah. One is that, you know, everyone said, well, he got dragged off a United flight, but it comes out it's it was a co-chair, it was Republic. Um, you know, it's like the cops were called, so the cops were involved. And then United's response, I thought, was a little maybe weak at first. And so they got blamed for that. And finally, we find out they settled. I don't know. I mean, when you look at that and you think, okay, well, if I'm in that situation, because who knows, it might happen someday. What would you do differently? What do you think? I think if I was a captain on that flight, I think yeah. I would have, seeing things going the way they were going, I think I would have stepped in. And I, at this point, tried to be a voice of reason mm-hmm. to be a third party because obviously the, the tempers got heated between the gate agent and the good doctor Yeah, uh, that were obviously led to, obviously when the gate agent is, you know, calling the police, then yeah. obviously things got heated. Yeah. You, you'd have to step in, I think, as a objective third party there, mm-hmm. insert yourself into the situation as a captain because you've got a boarded airplane. Now, the door is still open, so it is a little bit of a gray area about who's responsible for security issues. Hmm. You know, a lot of times airlines don't want pilots to get involved in security issues because we're just literally there to fly the airplane. If you get us involved in a heated argument where it gets our adrenaline going and our mind completely offline, Hmm. it's not a safe thing to get get involved in an emotional exchange in the back. So I can understand that if you're on the ground with the door open, okay, if there's a security incident... I think I might leave it to the professionals who are trained in dealing with these kind of yeah. uh, issues. However, that being said, when things were clearly spiraling out of control, I think as a captain, I would have stepped up and just said, you know what? Everybody has to get off this airplane. Hmm. You know, we've got, you know, I wouldn't say it, but obviously you've got, you got people, you know, it, it, it sometimes can be like romper room back there. Hmm. And, you know, you, you're dealing with people who are acting like children. Yeah. 
Um, and sorry, if they're going to act like children, then you're going to treat them like children. Everybody off. Yeah. You know, turn out the lights, <laughs> get off the plane. <laughs> we'll sort it out up top. Yeah. Because this is not the place to have that kind of, you know, fracas going on, really. Mm. So I think, yeah, there could have been some, I mean, so many things went wrong with this. Yeah. Um, but that being one of them. Um, yeah. I mean, th- there's so many obvious things like the, the why not just offer more money? Yeah. Um, you know, somebody, somebody will get off. Yeah. But, you know, just so many things went wrong, really, that it, it was it's just turned into a, a really bad scene. And it was, uh, you know, it was unfortunate to watch uh, United's name get dragged through the mud. Um, and, you know, granted, they sold the ticket and yeah. their their name is written on the side of that plane. So yeah. they took ownership of it, yeah. even though technically it was a Republic flight and yeah. the, the manhandling was done by the police. So, yeah, it's... And these are the kind of situations that escalate, and now with everybody having a camera. I was going to say, I mean, I think it totally changes the situation. It's like, I, I would be worried because you know as soon as something happens, it's like, it's on video. Yep. Everybody whips out their, their yeah. phones, and, and, and yeah, that's the... Uh, and so now everybody, has, and flight attendants, again, have it the worst. You know, it's yeah. like they're constantly being filmed. If there's any sort of conflict, that people are shoving cameras in their face, and it's really very rude yeah. to do. Um you know, I don't think people want to be filmed at their jobs, but that's what it's, unfortunately, that's what it's come to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we move on to the American Airlines incident with the the stroller, you know, the lady with the stroller. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everybody whips out their cameras for that. And all we hear is the last 30 seconds of a woman wailing, saying, you hit my baby. And, yeah. <laughs> and of course, the Internet goes wild again, yeah. saying, oh, my God, they're awful. Because, of course, that's what happened. A flight attendant yeah. would hit a baby, right? And there's so yeah. much more to the story. <laughs> and, and, and it's just, and, of course, it just got... And 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 here's the the thing that that does concern me. You know, United settled with the with the doctor yeah. in the dragging incident, and American seeing what was happening with United, they just took the opposite tack. And even though it appears that you know this woman was in the wrong, yeah. Uh, by trying to smuggle a stroller onto a... And it was like a two-person stroller, right? I, I don't know. I think it was huge. But either yeah. way, yeah. whatever the stroller is, they're yeah. not allowed on airplanes. Yeah. And they never have it. And yeah. it was tagged yeah. to be a gate check. And she, you know, even though she was in the wrong, I think, to sweep it under the rug, American just said, here, first-class seats, both legs that you're doing today. You know, let's not speak of this. Jeez. And... So it's rewarding, yeah, bad you know, behavior. bad behavior. Yeah. And I think people are just going to start coming out of the woodwork trying to get what they want. And it, and it could turn into just a real mess for, for those of us who are employed. It's really the employees who are, are going to get hit with this the worst. Yeah. And and granted, the airlines, some of the airlines' policies are the source of so much trouble for us. Uh, you know, for example, when the airlines roll out these yeah, billion plans, yeah. well, not just that, but even say, oh, we have new economy plus seating. Oh, yeah. Oh, we got an extra legroom. Yeah. Great things like that. Well, who's going to police that? Yeah. The flight attendants. Mm-hmm. The poor flight attendants now have to say, Sir, um, are you originally supposed to be in this seat? Uh, no, I was in the back. You know, they self-upgrade. Oh, there's nobody sitting here. I'm sorry, but you have to, you know. Yeah. You know, you can't just go to a store and get what you want. Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point because as a passenger, it's annoying when you're sitting there looking at empty seats and, you know, you're jammed in shoulder to shoulder and you're like, God, why can't I just sit there? You know, yeah. it's crazy. So It is frustrating. Yeah. Uh, they don't really think about, you know, the long-term effects. It's like, well, okay, you're getting something you didn't pay for. Yeah. So... But again, it's a policy that the airlines created that the that the employees have to police, and it's just more and more stressful hmm. for for everybody involved to have to try to enforce these rules that are coming down from the top. Yeah, yeah. And 
for as and of course has another way for the airlines to make you know more profits. Yeah, you know the check bag fees. You know again, it starts right when you book a ticket. Oh, you want a bag? That's twenty five bucks. Yeah, it, it's it's frustrating for people to who, especially those who flying back in the days when that was included. Yeah. So and of course the checked bag fees has created chaos because. Now the, everyone's trying to yeah, yeah take the on the biggest bag they can. I mean, anything yeah. you can get to the door, if it doesn't fit, oh, yeah. hey, free checked bag. Yeah. You know? And so what it does is it creates a huge line of TSA because everybody's bringing everything on board. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's being done all, all backwards. I'd rather see them charge for carry-ons and give a free checked bag. Yeah. I think you'd board planes, board and deplane airplanes a lot faster that way. Mm. But I'm not a CEO. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're just a lowly exactly. first officer now. That's right. I'm a number. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. right. All right. Well, Pete, we hope not to see you on the news anytime soon. Yeah, let's hope. Yeah. And uh, thanks very much for, for coming by. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been great.